Well, we are living in a time when you have to be so careful what you say. I'm acutely aware of that when I stand up here on a Sunday morning or a Sunday afternoon or evening, and I have this sea of faces, and I need to be careful what I say. I read during the week, the week that the, the Great British Bake Off has come on stuck a wee bit because of their theme, their Mexican theme, and the way they dressed up, and there were all kinds of complaints about that, probably about four or five complaints, but all the same, they've had to issue an apology and all the rest of it. But it is true, isn't it, that sometimes we make generalizations about people based on the part of the world that they come from. Yes, we have to be careful, but we do it. We all do it. And you hear people say that sometimes, you know, typical French or, or typical Germans, look at them all rushing down to get the sunbeds. And it's that kind of generalization. We do it even closer to home. We say, well, what else would you expect from someone from Belfast? I've heard that in people's homes. And then they think, oh, but of course, I don't mean you, but we say that. Or people from my part of the world, oh, he's a typical Balamina man, and we have these generalizations. And so, it might really surprise you to hear today, in God's Word, Luke, the writer of this book that we have been reading together, the book of Acts, Luke writing off people from one town, and then singing the praises of the residents of another town. And maybe you're thinking, what's that all about? Is that just a sweeping generalization on Luke's part? Well, no. Rather, it's based on what he observed as he listened to and as these people listened to and responded to the Word of God. And so, today for us, we get some big warnings and we learn some big lessons as we read how these two groups of people treated the Word of God. So, turn with me again, please, in your Bibles to Acts chapter 17. And remember that as we work our way through the middle part of the book of Acts, that what we are reading there is, as Kevin DeYoung, uh, an American pastor, has put it, it is the story of the continuing work of Jesus in His church and in His world. And we've got a wee bit out of sequence, and that's my fault. That's because I thought a couple of weeks ago when we had our visitors with us from the Royal Black Preceptories, and we had such a, a big number of people here from all kinds of backgrounds, that what Paul said to the people in Athens would be particularly apt. So, we're going back in time today. If you go right back to the beginning of Acts 17, the events that we're reading about today in two places, Thessalonica and Berea, are events that happened before what we read last time. That's just to melt your mind a wee bit and play with your minds, but hopefully you'll be able to follow what is happening here. And the key thing is that as we come into these particular chapters of Acts, we are reading the story of the gospel being brought to Europe for the very first time. So, that makes that so relevant for us. Out on the western edge of Europe, that this is the gospel, the good news of Jesus being brought to a whole new part of the world. And it is a powerful reminder that the good news of Jesus is not just for one race of people 
or for one group of people, but it's for all who will embrace it and trust in Jesus. And here at the beginning of this chapter, Acts 17, we get to read these very different reactions to the gospel that Paul and his friends encountered first in Thessalonica and then in Berea. And straight away, that is a great reminder to us that the gospel always meets with two reactions, that it always leads to contrasting responses. So, as we work our way through this today, I want you to think about your own reaction to the gospel. I want you to think about the response that you have been making and continue to make to the good news of Jesus. I want you to ask yourself, what is my attitude to the Word of God? And to help us to do that, the key phrase in this passage that we're going to think about today is what Luke says in verse 11, where he tells us, now the Bereans were of more noble character than the Thessalonians. And again, you might think, well, how could Luke say that? How could he arrive at that conclusion? Well, let's take a look together at the time that Paul and his fellow missionaries spent in these cities, beginning with the city of Thessalonica. And the first important thing to say is that Luke is not writing off that entire city, but rather a particular group of people who were within it. And in fact, as I was preparing this sermon this week, it was incredible. I was sitting at my computer and there are a couple of screens in front of me and the screen on the right is where my emails come in. And I'm being honest, right in the middle of preparing this sermon, an email landed from EMF. And we know a lot about European Mission Fellowship and the good work that they do. And it was an email about a missionary couple and a congregation in Thessaloniki, as it's known nowadays, this city that we're reading about today. And it was a great reminder that 2,000 years after Paul had been there, first making Jesus known, there are believers in Christ there who are sharing the gospel. And that's good news for us to think about today. But Thessalonica is a city on the coast of the Aegean Sea. And in Paul's day, it had almost 200,000 people living there. That made it a major world city at that time. And in this city, Paul did his usual thing of going to the synagogue first, and he encountered people who responded well to the gospel. Look at verse 4. We're told that some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and quite a few prominent women. And we get to see that picture again of God working in the lives of people from all kinds of backgrounds, all kinds of social standings, all kinds of ethnicities. And that is good news for us to hear today. But then Luke identifies a group of Jewish people in this city who were totally opposed to the gospel. Look on at verse 5. He says, but other Jews were jealous. So they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. And if you want to see the extent of their opposition to these missionaries, if you want to see 
how committed they were to working against the gospel, then look on down further into the passage to verse 13. Because there, when it is now the setting of Berea, we read in verse 13, but when the Jews in Thessalonica learned that Paul was preaching the Word of God at Berea, some of them went there too, agitating the crowds and stirring them up. So, these guys literally go out of their way to make trouble for these Christians, to make trouble for people who are sharing the gospel. And don't we still see that today? We see people who go out of their way to be offended by the gospel and by the church and by Christians. We think of some of those cases, those notorious cases that have been brought against Christian business people, and the people who brought those actions were not actually from that area at all. People who will look for any opportunity to cause trouble for the church, and as believers in Christ, as a church, we should be all too wise about that. But why did they react in this way? Because it's not like Paul was beating them around the head with the gospel. It's not like he was ramming the gospel down their throats. In fact, what we're told about Paul in the synagogue in verse 2 is that he reasoned with them from the Scriptures. There's nothing forceful about that. Verse 3, he was explaining and proving that Christ had to suffer and rise from the dead. He was not twisting anyone's arm. And once again, this is a reminder to us as a church It's a reminder to us as believers in Christ that no matter how sensitive and reasonable and well thought out our gospel proclamation is, there are people who will hate us because they hate the message that we bring. Because what is that message? Well, the gospel tells us all that we have a problem, that our sin is offensive to God and it makes us subject to God's judgment. And the gospel tells us that we actually cannot do anything about that problem ourselves, but we need another, that only Jesus and what the Lord Jesus has achieved can make us right with God. And lots of people don't like that message. Maybe you're one of them. It could be that for you today, you've been perhaps dragged along here to church by a loved one, by someone in your family, but deep down, you actually hate the gospel. You hate being told these things. Well, don't harden your heart to the gospel, because it is the most important message that you will ever need to hear. And maybe today, as we have looked at the people in Thessalonica, it perhaps lets you see yourself more clearly that it's given you a moment of realization that your hardness towards the church and towards Christians, maybe even the hard time you give a Christian in your own home, is actually showing where your heart lies towards God and the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Well, let's look at the other place that Paul visits in the first part of Acts 17. Berea, because by contrast 
the people in Berea receive God's word in exactly the right way. And they provide for us this amazing example of how we should first respond to the gospel as God opens our heart to it, and then how we should grow in our faith through the use of God's word. And remember what it is that Luke says about the Bereans in comparison to the Thessalonians. Look at verse 11 again. He says that the Bereans were of more noble character than the Thessalonians. And then he explains why that is the case. He continues, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the Scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. So, it was their attitude to God's Word, to God's message, that marked them out as good people, because they checked what Paul taught against the Scriptures. And we need to understand what was going on there. Remember that the Scriptures, as we have them today, were not yet complete. Remember the privilege that we have in having today the full and the final revelation of God. But the second part of our Bible, the New Testament, was under construction, literally under construction. These events were contributing towards what we read in the New Testament. And so, the Scriptures that these people had were the Old Testament Scriptures. And when they heard Paul bring this message, this totally new message of this man, Jesus, and how he was the Messiah, they got into their Bibles. They opened up their Scriptures, and they thought, well, what do the prophets tell us about the Messiah? And does what we're hearing about this Jesus fit in with what we read of the Messiah in the Scriptures? So, what can we learn from their attitude and their approach to God's Word. Well, let me finish off very quickly with three words in verse 11, all beginning with E. Must have been a Presbyterian wrote that verse. All beginning with E, and they should form the basis for how we treat God's Word. The first word is eagerness. The Bereans had the right attitude to the message. And what about us today? Maybe as you hear God's Word today, as you hear the gospel, what is your attitude? Looking around a typical Presbyterian congregation like ours, to be honest, you wouldn't think that the gospel is actually good news. Sometimes this is good news, and we should rejoice in it. But in my experience, people have one of two ways of approaching the Bible. And I've seen this in countless homes. I've heard this in countless conversations. On the one hand, there are people and they approach the Bible with cynicism. So, their starting point is to find something wrong in the Bible. They come to the Bible expecting to see contradictions and flaws and problems, and they will have a long time looking for them, but that is their default setting when it comes to God's Word. And down through the years when I've been talking to people, the red herrings, the 
the kind of, oh, I read this thing once about that verse, and why is that verse there, and then that verse. It's a cynicism about the Scriptures, and that is the default setting. But then on the other hand, there are people, and they approach God's Word with expectation. They come to the Bible expecting to hear something good, expecting that God will speak to them. And I wonder, how is it for you today? Is it cynicism or is it real expectation? Because I've mentioned already in this series, back when we were looking at the people who met with Jesus in Acts 16, how the eagerness that you might be feeling today is an indication of God's work in your heart and in your life. And that might come as a real surprise to some people that instead of being dragged along to church by a loved one, kicking and screaming, you are finding yourself increasingly wanting to be here. Not only that, you find yourself wanting to hear God's Word. You actually want to engage with the sermon and not just try and endure it, but, but think about what it is that God is saying. And I want you to know again that that is a sign, that is an indication of God opening your heart to the good news of Jesus in the way that He opened Lydia's heart back in chapter 16 and verse 14. So I ask you today, how eager are you to receive and to hear God's message? Or is it a case for you that you are listening to the world more than the Word? In this age of, of being online all the time, and of instant information, it is so much easier for us to listen to the world much more than listening to the Word. Is that the case with you? So eagerness, but then the second thing about the example of the Bereans is how they examined what they were hearing. They had this rigorous approach to testing Paul's message. And today, many people, including maybe some people here in church, they test a message that is preached by their own standards or by the standards of society or this world. And so, you get people saying things, well, like, you, you can't say that. That's not inclusive. Or that sounds really judgmental. Now, that's not what is going on here with the Bereans. They had a standard by which they assessed Paul's message, and that standard was the Scriptures. They asked themselves, is what this guy is telling us, is it from God? Well, let's hear what God has to say in His Word. Let's get the scroll opened up. Let's have a look for ourselves. Let's remember the Scriptures that we have committed to memory, what the prophets say about the Messiah, and see if all of this is true. And I realize that any word that is related to exam can cause panic for some of us or post-traumatic stress for some of us because we think back to what an exam was like. We understand what it means to be examined that what we are writing or what we are saying is being tested. And the Bereans understood that hearing from God, that hearing God's Word was a really important thing. 
and we get to see that they took it very seriously, that they checked out what the Scriptures had to say. They took time to look into the Scriptures. That's such a great example for us. I very much hope that you can trust me when I stand up in this pulpit or when I stand down at the front to preach. I hope you can trust the people that I have coming along here to preach in this place that what we are bringing is faithful to God's Word. But you then need to put the effort in to examine what is being taught, to read the Bible for yourself, to seek to understand those big and those main truths that it teaches. So there was eagerness. They examined the Scriptures, but then finally they did this every day. You see, checking out what Paul had to say during his time spent with them wasn't just a one-off activity, right? We've checked them out. That's it. Now we'll listen to everything and we'll never ask any questions about it again. Now Luke tells us in verse 11 that they did it every day. Now just think about how important God's Word is. What is it that God's Word does? It reveals God to us. Ultimately, it points us to the ultimate revelation of Himself, the ultimate way in which He has made Himself known. It points us to Jesus. And then the Scriptures are a means of grace. They're a way that God has given us to help us to grow in our relationship with Him day by day. But I'm very concerned that many people don't prioritize God's Word in your life. You prioritize God's Word through regular attendance here at church, both morning and evening. Seeing that as a way of hearing from and learning from God's Word. And sometimes people's lack of regular attendance is betrayed by the things that they say to me. I've had people say to me, you know, I would love sometime if you would preach on that or if you'd speak on this, or if you would do something about that. I did a whole series on that. And if we love God, we need to prioritize His Word through the daily use of the Bible in our own life. And I realize that taking time to read the Bible each day can be hard, both in terms of finding that time and then understanding what we're actually reading but it is absolutely vital to your growth as a Christian. It is as simple as that. It is essential to growing in grace and growing with the Lord. If you want to put it like this, if you chose to eat every now and again on the odd day here and there, you would not expect to be physically healthy. And God's Word is the spiritual food that helps you to grow as a follower of Jesus. And there are all kinds of resources to help you to form a habit of daily Bible reading and learning. Let me highlight some of them really quickly. Our own denomination, our Presbyterian Church in Ireland, has Tides, which is a daily devotional that is sent to people by email. If you go on to the Presbyterian Church website and you search for Tides or you just Google search PCI Tides, you'll see where to sign up to receive that email. 
I know that a number of people here use daily Bible reading notes, and there are good ones produced by Scripture Union, Daily Bread, or the ones that we use are Explore by the Good Book Company. There are all kinds of daily devotionals written by good Christian men who are people who have had a lifetime of experiencing God's Word and thinking about it. Ones that I've used that I found really helpful, Truth for Life by Alistair Begg, New Morning Mercies by Paul Tripp. I haven't actually used this one, but I've heard many Christian friends recommend Reading Between the Lines by Glenn Scrivener as well. And you can get all of those either digitally or in print by going to one of the Christian book companies, a good book company, ICM Bookshop, or somewhere like that. Now, today we have heard Luke's verdict on the Thessalonians compared to the Bereans, and we've discovered they're not just sweeping generalizations, but they're based on how these people responded to God's Word. But I want to ask you right at the end, what if Luke was to write a history of our church? And what if he was to write a chapter on the 2020s? What would he say about the people of Connor? Would he find us to be people, when it comes to God's Word, who were eager? Would he see us as people who examined the Scriptures and who did that every day? With God's help and grace, let's make that be the kind of church and the kind of people we are in this new session that lies ahead. Amen.